hairs on my body started standing on end. Silent. Nothing there. I fought to get back into my body. You are going to be a vital importance of helping us convince the masses. Type 471. Type 471. Bridge to the other world. Bridge to the other world. Welcome to Type 471. I'm Sam Kitchen. My guest today is my friend from across the pond, Patrick Jackson. Patrick is the author of Quantum Paranormal, a 21st century analysis of the paranormal phenomenon. He has a Facebook group of the same name, and Patrick has a lifetime of very strange paranormal experiences. And Patrick is an IT specialist, and he decided to apply the skill set to the paranormal question. And last but certainly not least, Patrick has developed an, an app called Ghost Code, which is actually successful in inviting paranormal activity. So we've got lots of cool stuff to talk to Patrick about today. Patrick Jackson, welcome to Type 471. How are you today? I'm doing very well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing very well. I always like talking about weird stuff, and there's plenty of it to talk about today, so I'm doing just fine. Thank you. Uh, I want to start by learning about the paranormal experiences from your past that kind of instigated all this to begin with. Uh, yeah, sure. So um, I grew up in a little village in Cambridgeshire. Um, basically, it was a, one of these little villages where, you know, you hardly see anyone or see any traffic. And it was um, it's actually quite a, an active place um, for like, UFOs and, and ghosts as well. So I was just sort of growing up there and minding my own business and stuff and i kept seeing stuff i kept seeing um balls of light going over the roads i kept seeing um like uh or uh, what people will call ghosts um i'd be around my friend's house we'd be, be playing playstation and you'd hear like someone walking across the ceiling you know stamping across the ceiling kind of thing and uh, i'd say who's in the flat above and he says no one and we go up there and there's no one there and that kind of thing and there was just lots and lots of that and then one day I was I was uh, down the, the park area, um, actually waiting for the um, the pub to open, and uh, I was just sitting there. And it was like summertime, and it was like getting a little uh, getting a little dark. I just looked across the field and saw a guy standing there in a monk outfit, and I actually thought it was just some one of the local wackos, you know, who had who had just taken too many pills or something. So I didn't take it too seriously. In fact, I I kind of started swearing at him and say, you know, what are you doing, you know, and uh, you idiot, and stuff like that. And uh, this thing just stood there like a statue. And um, so at the time, I had a, a little laser pointer, and uh, I pointed it straight at, at, his, uh, at his body and then his face. And uh, I saw the beam reflect off the ground, up his legs, onto his chest, and then right into his face. And he had like a hood up. So all you could see was like a black, black mass where his face was. And uh, the laser was reflecting, but it was a lot dimmer. Um, but it was not picking out anything. It was just like um, like hitting a, a, a wall of blackness. Um, and I was getting in right in the, where the eyes would be. And normally that would, you know, bug bug people. And this thing just stood there like a like a statue. So I, I actually just thought maybe someone just dumped a statue in the middle of the field or something weird, you know. 
Um, and this wasn't like a, a field where you grow crops. This was just like a playing field where you play football and stuff. When did these things happen? Well, that one, I think, was in my early 20s. Yeah. Uh, because before then, I, I mean, I used to see stuff and witness stuff, but it never really triggered my fascination or interest in it. It was just stuff that happened, you know. Um, but when I when this actually did happen, it kind of flared my interest and, you know, it became a kind of like a something like a puzzle I had to kind of figure out. Of course. Um, yeah. I, uh, I, I just, you mentioned PlayStation and laser pointers. So I just wanted to kind of narrow in on a time period. Was this like the nineties, early two thousands? Um, it was late nineties, early two thousands. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I just, uh, it just helps me to kind of understand the whole picture. How did this, this encounter with the monk like entity end? What, what happened at the end of it? So I, I just got up to have a look at it because I just thought it was just weird. So I just got up and it was only about um, 20 feet away from me. It wasn't far. Uh, so I just stood up and started walking towards it. And as I got closer, I, you know, you could see all the detail on its on its uh, on the coat and, and everything. You could see like um, the curves and, you know, it was quite, you know, really detailed. Uh, but then I got within, I don't know, 10 feet of it and it just dissipated, disappeared. And that kind of struck me as weird, you know, because um, I'd never seen anything like that for that. For, and it, it wasn't it wasn't like a, a two second encounter. It was it went on for about two minutes, two and a half minutes. This thing was standing there. Were other people around to witness this? No, no, it was just me on my own. And uh, but then I, I went into the local pub where you, you have all the old men and, you know, you who always spend their time on the fields and the farms and stuff. And I just said, I, you know, I, I swear I just saw it looks like a, a guy as a monk in a, across the field. And they all went, oh, yeah, that's the mad monk. He haunts here. They all, then quite a few people have seen him. Wow. So that was like completely out of blue to me. And that was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so I needed, I, I needed a few drinks after that, just to process it. But, um, and after that, I kind of got more and more interested in, in the, the paranormal and stuff um, yeah and so when it, that was kind of like the the thing that lit my interest i'm gonna have to look into this monk appearing in your hometown i want to see if there's stuff online about it have you looked into that has have you seen stuff online about it um i'm not aware of it. i don't think there's any to be fair i because all the all the old boys who i think have seen it are all like you know the internet was before their their time kind of thing so they're not really into the internet but it's people around the village has definitely seen it. Right, right. Well, that is extremely interesting. So you're an IT specialist. Tell us a little bit about your work and how uh, this has cultivated a certain skill set that you apply to the paranormal. Um, so, I mean, I'm a, I'm a database, I'm a database uh, expert or a SQL DBA um, developer. So what I have to look after is all the corporate databases. Um, for big companies and uh, I control access to them and security, um, write scripts and so forth. And a big part of that is a thing called reverse engineering because what you'll find is is a lot of people will turn up, like new developers will turn up and they write stuff and then they leave. Generally are like contractors. And um, But then no one really knows how these these processes work. Um, and they, what generally happens is is they become very heavily relied upon in the company um, and no one knows how they work. So I would be told to figure it out. So you basically have to see how it all behaves, read the code, um, see what it connects to, document it all, and 
And I, like an example, like, um, like the company I'm in at the moment, we had to replace a core server, which uh, was sourcing all the other servers around the world, around the country, around Europe, around Europe. And if we did it wrong, all those servers would go wrong at once and all the money would stop coming into the company. So I had to figure out how to remove the server and replace it without uh, there being any physical uh, or you know visible impact. And it took about two years to um, figure it all out and document it. And uh, we had one attempt at it and it, it worked, thank, thankfully. So yeah, that's the kind of thing I do. And you know, reverse engineering, by the way, isn't anything special. It's, it's common in the in the industry. It's just I don't think it's ever been applied to the paranormal because most IT people just don't care about this stuff or or even think about it. Yeah, IT people, from what I would understand, would tend to be uh, very logical, rational people, the sort of people who would assume that the paranormal is irrational and illogical. And so it's something that a lot of people don't look at. But you are a unique individual in that you are you have this particular mind and way of thinking, this logical, rational way of thinking. But then you also have insight into the paranormal because of your own experiences. And so you have therefore applied it in a way that most people with your skill set would not do. So I find that very interesting. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in your work, essentially what happens is that somebody goes in and creates something and then uh, this comes to be relied upon and then the person leaves the company there is no documentation of how they went about creating this thing and you have to go in and figure it out and figure out how to tap into this thing am i getting that correct yeah so then you apply this to the paranormal so uh, yeah. what what happens what happened when you uh, started to follow this trail of breadcrumbs into the paranormal using your skill set well i mean it's taken me a long long time um i would say a good 10 years of just watching the mainstream TV shows and then about another 10 years of, of really looking into it myself. So in the beginning, I was just looking at the mainstream TV shows and it just didn't seem to add up to me. You know, I, I what I was noticing was there was a, a, a pattern. So everywhere these people would go and they would say it was, a, you know, someone else haunting it or something, they're, but they'll always be the same kind of patterns. Uh, so like the same, um, mechanisms would be at work in every single one so what i mean by that is like uh, take evp for example now evp is a is is has been is recognized as a part of the paranormal scene and it's all over the world so you could say that that in itself is a is a mechanism a process that only occurs in the paranormal uh, it's when you when you're in your room and you're recording on tape or, or digital recorder and uh, you hear a voice which is might be clear as a bell but you don't hear it at the time and there might only be you in that room, and no one, no one in the uh, the mainstream can can explain it. What they do is, well, their 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 answer to it is the spirit is talking on frequencies we can't hear, which is a load of rubbish, because human hearing has um, a greater um, dynamic range than recorders. So if the recorder can hear it, so should we, but we don't. So uh, there's a lots of these things, lots of these little uh, paranormal effects uh, replicate all over the world. And, but no one, and when you really look at their explanation for it, it doesn't make any sense. So if what is being recorded, if what is being heard is actually within the range of human hearing, then why are human ears not hearing it? 
the process of which the the sound is being transmitted is different to how we hear. So the mechanism is different. So uh, human hearing operates from uh, compressed air. So when we speak, we create, we compress and shape air with our, our lips and our vocal cords and our mouths, which then convert to sound waves, which then stimulate our eardrums and then get trans, uh, converted into electrical impulses into the brain. And then what's happening on these things is, is that uh, they're hearing voices, but you're not hearing anything through your ears. So it means it's not being broadcast through the same process. It's, um, the only way it can be done is electronically. So it's actually broadcasting a directed radio wave at, uh, the, at the recorder, which is then picked up as electronic crosstalk on the circuit. So even if you cut the microphone out um, of your recorder, you'll still hear the voices. And then what you'll find is on cheap cameras, you'll pick up more EVPs because they're not as shielded as professional cameras. Why would this occur? Why would there just be voices that no one can hear? Well, the, the, the root cause of podcast activity um, is artificial in nature. So it uses a te technical way of passing messages along. There are other ways. I mean, you heard of a thing called direct voice where you can actually hear voices and sounds. You know, you, you can't find the source. And how that works is, well, it's, it's just compressing airwaves. So uh, these objects, all they need to do is compress air and shape it a bit like a, a speaker does. But instead of using speaker cone, it's using a field. Um, so what you get is basically like a, like a, a speaker in midair. Um, and you can hear voice, voices and sound from it. But why it does it is, is basically, well, it's three-lay messages or basic human intelligence. Uh, basic, um, human interaction as i call it so it just basically tells you what it wants to say and but not really have a conversation as such okay so you use the words want and conversation so there is consciousness involved um yeah to a degree well explain that what is that degree and and uh, how is that kind of like an in-between kind of thing because um like our own drones they can be autonomous as in ai driven um and also they can be manually controlled so if someone wants to pass you a direct message, they can just manually control it and just drop your message through. And uh, the other is uh, artificial intelligence, which will just kind of tell you what you want to hear or tell you basic information. So what you, what you generally find is like um, you know, someone will ask a question like, who lived here? You know, and you'll get the name through, say, you know, Patrick. But you get my name, but you really, won't really get a conversation. So it's the same behavior as what happens when you query databases. You get a very specific answer, but you don't get an interaction. You just get an answer. Okay. I want to understand that. So, so you're, you're just talking about accessing information in a way then, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. And you also use the word drone. Uh, how does that factor in? So the root cause of poltergeist activity is uh, Foo Fighters, which was seen during World War II. How that all works is going to take a little bit of time to explain, but it, once you see it, it's actually really easy to understand. So back in World War II, they, um, the Air Force, both the German and the US and UK Air Force, all came to contact with uh, these small silver seers. They, they became known as Foo Fighters, and the different countries named them different things, you know, but they all did the same thing. And what they used to do was swarm the aircrafts. And then what they'll do is, is cause all sorts of disruption, electronic, gravitational. Some would even pass into the craft itself. They would literally fly through the walls and they would actually scare the crews quite badly. 
So it, it became quite a serious um, subject because one side thought it was a, the weapon of the other side. And, you know, so when when the these were was occurring it, it really did scare the uh, the leaders of the of the armies of each, on each side um but then after the war as the war progressed though they they noticed that these objects just were just watching from a distance they weren't really getting involved um and sometimes they just used to track the planes for hours you know literally just off the tail and there's pictures of this all over google and the internet and so forth um and they were seen in different ways. Uh, sometimes they look like a ball of light. Sometimes they uh, look like a different color. Uh, sometimes they look like, uh, they, uh, sometimes they could uh, look almost like transparent. And other times they look like a silver ball. And they are arranged in sizes. But generally they, they range between the size of uh, like a beach ball and a, and a bowling ball roughly. So I am familiar with the Foo Fighter phenomenon. From what I understand, they're physical objects. So how were they passing through the the body of an aircraft? It's, there's this um, thing in quantum mechanics called quantum tunneling. It's a mechanism that allows uh, physical objects to pass through other physical objects. Um, but again, we can we can only sort of replicate that on on minor levels. But these uh, objects have, seem to have mastered it. In fact, um, the the air force used to open fire on these things with their with their guns because they were literally just off their back. They used to just open fire with the machine guns. And they would, the bullets would just go right through them. Wouldn't even, wouldn't even affect them at all. How have you arrived at the conclusion that Foo Fighters are responsible for poltergeist phenomena? So um, a few years ago, I think it was back in 2015, I, I decided to we'll make, a, make an effort you know, to try and figure this, this thing out. And um, so I, I basically uh, booked a place called 30 East Drive which was voted the uh, most haunted house in in the UK, if not Europe, and some would argue the world, you know. And it's only a small place, so it's it's perfect. It's only like a, a small council house. Um, and it all happens on the stairs and in the bedrooms above. So it really was a, a perfect place for me to go because um, in small areas, you can see, the, you can see uh, if uh, certain patterns start developing. Unlike, say, a, a large place like a castle, it will, it will just be happening all over the place. Uh, so the smaller the the place is actually the, the better it is. It's more concentrated. Um, and I was in there and I I uh, went in there with an open mind and um, within 15 minutes of being in the place, I said, and I was with a couple of other guys and I said, um, anyone in, in anyone here, you know? And the coal shed door downstairs banged eight times. So we all go rushing down there and there's no one there. The coal the door the coal shed door is internal. It's all sealed off. It's just us there. And then it banged eight times. And we all caught it on tape as well. And um, that was like within 15 minutes of being in the place. And I was thinking, oh, geez, you know, I'm going to be in here for four days. <laughs> you know, so that was that. And what we what we started getting was lots of weird um, electrical issues. Computers were playing up. Uh, cameras uh, kept failing. Um, batteries kept dying. Um, it was lots of weird electronical issues. and. Also, we were feeling, I was getting headaches, uh, feeling weird. I was feeling a bit distorted. I couldn't quite figure it out. Um, and then towards the end, um, I finally saw what people called the Black Monk, what is said to haunt the place. And when I saw it, it, it was a black mass, like a vertical black mass. And uh, I saw it, and then I saw it move. And I'd seen, and that reminded me of something, because 
the way it moved matched how the objects I saw in my village moved. So I used to see these balls of light going over the streets. You know, they would have a certain way they move. And uh, I was like, that's the same. Mm. And then basic, basically I said, okay, after, after my, my stay there, I had it all recorded so I could go through it all with a, with a tooth comb. And what I, what I realized was, was that the, the patterns were computer-like because they keep repeating the same process. Like the coal shed door keeps banging. It bangs randomly or appearing to bang ran- uh, randomly from time to time. But it's always the same door, always the same amount of times. And I was thinking, well, why, why would a dead good guy do that? You know, it, and, and then what happens is, is it will bang and then nothing will happen for a few days. And then it will bang again, you know. And so you have these bursts of activity, which then stop for days. And then during those other days, a place feels like any other house. It's normal. You just don't feel anything there. And then suddenly it all changes literally within an hour. That kind of behavior pattern doesn't match human behavior. Because human beings, in, by general, are creatures of habit. It doesn't really matter how bad a person you are or, or you know, evil people you, people you could be. People are still pack animals and they actually like the company of others. So generally, if you were talking to a, a real dead person, you would get, I would say, a much deeper and longer and more consistent conversation than this. What is in the house is not acting like a human being. It acts more like a machine. So that kind of stuck me there. Um, and then towards the end, I started getting real bad problems with my, my brain. I, my, my brain started swelling in my skull. And uh, I couldn't even, um, you know, I couldn't even think. It was really bad. Um, and I didn't realize what it was at the time. I just thought it was just weird. But it was really, really, really bad. That's awful. That reminds me of a lot of physical effects that I have uh, read and heard about elsewhere, like at Skinwalker Ranch, where a similar type of swelling in the head occurred uh, due to interaction with some sort of radiation, apparently. Uh, yeah, this is an all-too-familiar pattern. That's just... God, I mean, that must have hurt. How long did it take to, to, for these effects to go away? Um, the, the initial effects was about three or four days after I left. Um, but then I, there was a, how can you say, it felt like I, my nervous system had been burnt out. And I actually felt more like a machine than a person. It was weird. And um, I, I was normally quite you know, calm in myself and relaxed, but suddenly I was just having these violent uh, outbursts and stuff, you know, getting really angry really quick. And uh, so my behavior pattern changed as well. And I just felt, I felt kind of um, electronically torched, I suppose is the word. You know, it's, uh, it, it just felt really bad. Um, and it actually changed my eyesight as well. Because before I used to like walking around in the dark. But after this, it was just seemed like the dark was darker or denser or thicker. And I couldn't see the detail as much as I used to. So there, was, it's, there were little minor changes um that i kind of experienced have any of these effects been permanent or did they all go away they all went away in the end yeah good went away in the end yeah i'm I'm very glad to hear that so uh you mentioned the movement the similarity of movement i'm very interested in knowing more about that so it moves without resistance um or um weight so it basically has no um how can you say It, it yeah it moves without resistance or weight it moves completely freely. So if he goes around the corner, it just goes around the corner, but doesn't, there's no, 
if I if you sort of run around the corner, you know, you get like the physics of it. You you feel the inertia as you go around the corner. You fall off balance. This just basically moves without any effect of gravity on it. And when you remove the effect of gravity on an object, it basically has no inertia. So you can do hard left, hard right, up, down, left, right, fast as you want, and it doesn't have any effect. Right. So there was no drag, lift, lift, thrust, yeah. gravity, all that stuff. So it was just yeah. operating by its own laws. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Hmm. That's very interesting. If, if these are physical things that live in this world or that operate in this world, why would they not follow the same physical laws? It's a technology. I mean, all you have to do is neutralize gravity and everything changes. You know, you can, you can run as fast as you can. You can, you know, uh, th there's no inertia. Basically, it's a whole new world without gravity. Absolutely. So what is the, the unified theory that you've arrived at so far? I know you don't have a blanket explanation for everything, but uh, so I shouldn't have called it a unified theory. So, but what, what's the, the, the biggest picture that you have perceived so far? So um, a few months after, or about a year actually, after I left East Drive, I got sent these pictures of, of um, Inside 30, and um, I put it through my software like imaging software and i it came out as a small silver sphere and it was a it was a small variant it was about the size of a half the size of a bowling ball and uh, it was hovering off the ground in 30 east drive and then once i saw that it all clicked in it all made sense to me because what's happening is there's three different variants um you have the type ones which are a hundred thousand feet approximately maybe higher um that they are the foo fighters what was seen during world war ii um, they're also seen on the ISS uh, live stream. They're seen from planes as well. And now and again, they actually come down quite low. Um, and uh, you'll see them just hovering in the skies. And then you have the Type 2s, which operate in harsher conditions, as in um, areas like the, the ocean um, and also woodlands as well. Uh, so basically areas that are more environmentally harsher. Uh, they are seen as balls of light in, in the woodlands um, and in the oceans. That's what is tracking the U.S. Navy fleet at the moment. That's what's all over the news with, uh, with their gun cams pointing at this little ball hovering above the sea. Uh, that's a type two. And then you've got the type threes that are even a, a smaller variant of those. Um, and they operate in buildings and uh, they operate in haunted buildings. Um, and you've got to understand is these are like little drones and drones all basically need the same thing. Number one, they use artificial intelligence. Number two, they can be manually controlled as well. Number three, they need a network. And number four, they're always receiving and sending signals. So, um, when you actually map, um, all the really bad haunted areas together, say in the UK, I mean, I've done a bit of the US, but not all of it. In fact, we're coming up with an AI program, um, program that will find them for us. Uh, but if you map them all in the UK, you'll find that they're all in uh, lines or clusters or triangles, all approximately very similar distance apart. And what this replicates is our own microwave-based communication network. Uh, basically, it's a line of sight. So it follows environmental topology. So what it does is that these drones will set up a, a network on the ground they all link up together. And then when the Type 1s actually, they're operating up, up in the, uh, the 100,000 feet, 
say you have a swarm of them, say, over one half of the country and another swarm over the other side of the country. And then something in the middle comes in, like an external craft, or what I call them as the external groups and interests. And uh, what they do is they will passively detect that object through a, a couple of different ways, I think. And then, but you see, when it gets in that situation, they cannot broadcast anything because the moment they send a signal out, they become detectable. So what they do is they do what our own stealth aircraft do, uh, which is they actually relay the data link off a third party. So in our case, when we send stealth drones over other countries, where the data link is going to a satellite, so there's no emissions going down to the ground. It's always it's going up in space. And then it bounces off the satellite and then goes to the, the control center. And then you have, um, but what these things do is the complete opposite. So instead of using the or satellites, it's, um, it relays it off the ground. So the, it will relay downwards to one of these type 3 seers, which will then come online and then start relaying and start giving off emissions. They're like trans transponders because they will sit dormant for, say, a week. And then once the signal comes down, they come active. And then once they become active, they will give off emissions, high energy emissions. So once the, um, they use a thing called burst broadcasts or burst transmissions, which was the same thing we used during World War II. So it will do a, a burst transmission down to the, the type three, which will then in turn relay it to the other type uh, one spheres, the other side of the other side of the world or the other side of um, the, the horizon. As a result, once that, once that data link is established, then coordination can be synchronized, which then allows these spheres to synchronize and uh, intercept this object all at once without detection. You mentioned protecting against outside interests. Whose interests are being protected? Uh, us. Well, the, these spheres protect the planet, as in they, they prevent access to other groups into this, to this planet. Okay. So they, con they control the Earth's airspace, or access to Earth's airspace, anyway. Right, but on whose behalf? Who's pulling the strings? Who decided to do this? Oh, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. And I'm, I'm really glad that, that you said that, because, you know, that's realistic. <laughs> yeah. And if you had said, I know, then I would have said, well, you're probably full of it. But... Yeah. Right, right. No, I mean, I, you know, I'm just saying, like, the fact that you don't know is, gives you even more credibility in my, in my eyes is what I'm saying. So, uh, do you, like, how long, I, I'm sure you don't know the answer to this either. How long have they been here? Well, I mean, they were first sort of seen during World War II. Sure. But these, uh, these seers are depicted in the Bible, um, with Jesus sat next to one. So, I don't know, take it as, take it as face value, but They've been here a very long time, I think. Which particular passage in the Bible are you referring to? Oh, I'll have to dig it out. It's, um, I don't have an exact reference with me at the moment, but I can send you it and you can have a look. I, I would really like to see that. I need to understand which, which, what you're referring to. From what I understand, you are actually familiar in a hands-on sense with these Foo Fighters. You, you have a couple of them that are actually in human possession. Yeah. So uh, what, what have you gleaned from that? Well, one, um, the, the two, we have two of them. One is um, a bit broken up. Um, it it crash-landed about 30, 40 years ago um, and uh, killed a cow when it hit the ground. Um, that one has been blown up inside out, but we can still pull the metal samples off of it. Uh, that's been through material analysis, and uh, 
it's got a, a whole range of different elements in it and also um, it's impregnated with nanocarbon tubing um, on a level that we just can't replicate. I mean, we can't replicate it now, let alone 40 years ago. It's a titanium sphere, which has uh, got some other, lots of other interesting little elements to it. Um, if Steve was here, he could go through it with you a lot deeper. Uh, maybe we can do that next time. But the technical paper is actually on my 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 Facebook group, and you can read all the, the analysis on there, right, right there. Um, and the other one is still semi-active. It's, in, it's intact. And uh, it's... Uh, that was found 40 years ago, 40 years ago as well. And uh, yeah, it's, it, it moves around the house. It, it uh, rolls itself around the, the building. It uh, shakes from left to right. It, it follows you. Um, it gives off gamma rays. Um, we did a radiation test on it a little while ago. And before we rolled it in, the, the background radiation was eight. And then when it came in, it was 50, which is a little bit worrying because, I mean, either, I mean this thing is still safe. but. Uh, I can imagine what, what I can tell is happening is if these objects are, are in buildings, like I like I say, um, and they are they are probably pumping out emissions up to a thousand counts per minute, because people go into these buildings and then suddenly they faint, they feel sick, they get headaches, nausea, and all these symptoms match radiation poisoning. They certainly do. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm trying to understand the the part about them operating in abandoned buildings it all seems very very complex to me like something like this this whole world that is hidden from view it seems like people would have seen it uh, this this whole intricate little world just operating just below the surface it seems to me like people would have detected it um if they're truly living in buildings as you say they are well i think the military have um but it's all kept quiet but I mean, they, they use abandoned buildings because of the emissions and also because of the environmental factors in the buildings as well. So, for instance, um, you'll notice that uh, these these very active houses, they get really cold. Um, and the reason for that is, what I can tell, is doing a thing called thermal uh, masking. So what it's doing is blending the background outside temperature and matching it. To, sorry, it's, it's, it's matching the outside temperature to the inside. Well, the inside to the outside. So basically, from uh, from a high up on thermal imaging, nothing stands out. It just blends in with background noise. Um, also, they, they use buildings because buildings uh, absorb or at least um, help absorb uh, stray electronic signatures. So from their threat level, which is around 100,000 feet, these this this system is near undetectable. Um, and that's why also use burst transmissions because it only comes online when it needs to. Sure. And, and and all of this makes sense. I mean, it certainly makes sense they would use abandoned buildings for this reason to, to remain undetected because of the radiation levels and all that. But but still, sometimes buildings blow up. Sometimes tornadoes happen. So why have we not just uncovered a whole mess of these drones between Kentucky and Texas, you know, during tornado season? Um, well, number one, I think they're even affected by the wind. Uh, number two, when the building does get knocked down, they just find a new place to, to broadcast from. Um, paranormal activity doesn't increase or decrease. It just moves around. Um, so, for instance, like, you know, like the demon house uh, that Zach Bagan did is that's a very typical type of building that would have very high activity because though it's a, it's a wooden house. So the, the, the absorption rate isn't very good. So you'll then use the basement. So if it's pumping out all these this um, 
these uh, high energy fields from the basement and people are living above it, number one, they're going to get all sorts of um, problems to do with that. And number two, the, the seers themselves will cause actions to move people away. So the, that's when that's why poltergeist activity occurs. So uh, take the uh, the demon house uh, where Zach Bagan was. That type of building is very typical for high uh, poltergeist activity because the spheres themselves would operate in the basement because that's the most shielded part of the building. But because people are directly above it, uh, the number one they'll get lots of byproducts from the fields, so that they'll start feeling sick. They'll have behavior changes. Um, it will have a, a neurological impact on their mental health, um, which is what happened to Zach because his eyes went funny. And then what will happen is is that when uh, the emissions will reach a point, they will start doing poltergeist activity to, to move people away. So the idea of, of the, the whole reason for poltergeist activity is to move people away from high energy emissions. It's the inverse square law of radiation, where basically every time the, the distance doubles, it will it, it reduces um, quite a lot. So it just needs to push people out of the building, um, not out of the building, out of the room, not, not out of the building. And, uh, and it's, it's, it can broadcast quite safely. Um, so that's what it's about. Um, and then once the broadcast is done, then it all shuts down and it's all happy days again. So huh, all poltergeist activity of the sort that we're talking about is for the purpose of protecting people from high levels of radiation. Or yeah, high energy uh, fields. Yeah, right. The which could be radio, which probably is radiation, to be honest. But it depends if we can detect it or not. Um, I think we can. But the, the the problem is is that to to do these tests, you have to to be monitoring a building for a good month. Um, and these these bursts, these transmissions, might only occur maybe once or twice a month, maybe once or twice a week, if if you're lucky. Um, so. That's that's what it appears to be. All right. You have created this app called Ghost Code, and I am really interested in learning everything I possibly can about that. I want to know how it works, how you developed it, and what the ideal way to use it is. Uh, yeah, sure. So um, these uh, these seers also create crop circles. And um, in one of the circles here in the UK, had a code in it. Um, and a mathematician extracted the code, and it was um, a particular computer code. Uh, so I basically replicated that code and then inserted my own commands. And then I uh, did a few other tricks to to make it audible. And then I put that code into a phone app. Or a, the first one was actually a video. I made a video, and people just played the video on their phone. And uh, it, they, what you have to do, you have to use it after midnight when these spheres are more likely to be online. Because this, you know, you know, you heard the witching hours, like between twelve and three. Sure. Yeah. Well, the reason why that is is because these seers seem to come online around about that time. They follow the dark side of the dark side of the earth as it as uh, as, as it rotates around the uh, the sun, and um, so you have to use it during these time periods. And then what it does, it it basically sends out a a signal uh, or a, a code that the seers understand, and when they um, when they're in earshot of it, uh, they will come say hello. Basically, it generally triggers paranormal interactions of some sort. So 
in different places you'll get different things like uh, in east drive you get straight away you start getting back and forth on the on detectors and, and stuff like that um in if you do it in say the outdoors like i can do it in my, my back garden here what will happen is uh, the code will play for a while then the sensors will light up and then it will sort of hang around for maybe 10 seconds and then it will leave so what it does it'll just come and ping you and then have a look around and say oh you know nothing here and it will go away but if it's in a building where these uh, spheres are kind of operating from, you'll get a much uh, bigger response. Um, and people have used it. They used it in Florida. For Phil, um, and they're working with a group called Outcast Paranormal, and you've got a few of the Bigfoot guys on there from the Travel Channel. RPG's testing it out for you, isn't he? Yeah, and they were in there, and they, they triggered it. They, uh, they used it in there, and things started getting thrown around at them. And things started falling off the shelves and uh, all sorts. Um, they've heard other weird behaviors where, you know, the sheep start going crazy outside um, or the the animals. I can't remember if it was a sheep or a goat, but they said the animals are going crazy. We used it in Epping Forest. Um, literally, we're all, quick, we're all camped out, put the sensors out, pressed the button. Literally, within a second, all the sensors were alike. Did it again. It worked again about an hour later. So it's it's been tested all over the place and people are getting its kind of interesting responses with it. I had a magazine called uh, Higgy Pop do a, a review of it. Um, but that was a bit of an interesting article because in the beginning he says, uh, oh, we did it in controlled conditions, behind thick walls, no one's using phones or walkie-talkies. And then he did it and it went off, all the sensors went off, one of, sorry, two sensors went off. Um, and then he blamed, then they turn around and say, oh, well, that could have been a walkie-talkie or a phone. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, you know, you, you can't win. Right. <laughs> you just can't win. So, yeah, uh, a lot of people are using it. Um, it's got five stars on Google Play at the moment. Um, so it's doing well. It's doing well. I just, I just want more people to play with it, really, and, and try it out. Well, I, I was going to say, this is all very bold, Patrick. So uh, you, you seem pretty confident that if, if my listeners are to pay $7 for this app, that they will have a reasonable expectation of poltergeist activity if they use it correctly. If they're in if they're in active places, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you play if you play in your in your living room at home, nothing will happen because the Sears don't operate in your room in your house. But they're they are in these buildings that are are active. You know, the type of building you can't even live in. You know that that kind of haunted. Um, I don't mean just like you know something happening once in a blue moon. I mean these places that you cannot um, physically live in for long periods. And uh, if you do it there, then you'll get into, you'll, you'll get um, definitely higher levels of interaction. Another thing you can do um, is if you if you have a little bit of money to throw around, um, buy yourself a pair of Generation Two or Three night night vision scope um, scopes, and just uh, look up in the sky at night, and you'll see the, the Type One Sears flying by. They uh, they're pretty obvious because satellites always travel in a straight line, but these will travel in packs. And these will do U-turns and stop and go left and right, up and down. Um, and if you go on YouTube, you'll see loads of videos of people doing that. Um, so, so are we talking about infrared scopes or just ultra low light sensors? Um, uh, passive infrared scope. Hmm. Okay. Well, I do have some infrared binoculars, so I will try that out. So uh, I wanted to back way up way, way up, uh, in, and talk about these two spheres again. Uh, one is in possession of, of this guy, and you mentioned how it killed a cow when it plummeted to Earth. How did the mm. other one uh, come to be in 
human possession, and is it in the possession of the same guy? It's not in possession. It's a, it's a different owner. What these these uh, objects are deployed from a larger from a larger craft, and again, there's videos of them being deployed. They get they get basically the the saucer spins and it just spews them out. You know, in in fifth, in about I don't know, we think uh, ten at a time. Um, you know, really fast, it spews them all out, and then they all start dancing around, and then like one by one, they all sort of disappear and fly away. But during that one, uh, basically, the story is is that the, a UFO appeared over a farm um, about forty years ago, and it scared the family so much that they actually locked themselves in the house for for about two days. Um, and then when they came out, they had 40 of these, these objects on, the, on their lawn. Mm. Um, obviously, they had a the very big lawn because it's like a farm. But they had like 40 of these objects. Um, and he gave one of them to this guy who has it now. And then uh, the owner of it, I think he contacted, I mean, this is just my own theory on it. But it appears he contacted the military and the military said, oh, yeah, we'll buy them off you. Um, but we want the other one as well. And uh, so the, the owner went to see uh, this guy and says, oh, I really need it back. But the, he wouldn't give it back to him. You know, he refused to, and he, they all got very upset. Um, so I think the other ones were, were handed to the, you know, the defense industry to analyze. And, the, uh, and he managed to keep that one. And that's been basically stored in his garage for like 30 years. Hmm, okay. 30, 40 years, yeah. Well, well, thank you for clearing that up. I wanted to know if they were both in the in possession of the same individual because that just no. yeah right right that would just you know just be a little too perfect is what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah 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 totally. So uh, thank you for clearing that up. Now now to get right back to what we're discussing in the present, um, to use the Ghost Code app, do I need or is it a good idea to have any sort of supplemental instrumentation? And what what instrumentation should I have? Um, the best one is static detectors. The best one, actually, I use is Paranologies. Um, it's, an, it's an American company, um, and they do all this ghost detection stuff. It's uh, Paranologies.com, and they come up with a thing called the Periscope. And it's really good. It, it's, um, I would say it's actually the best stuff on the market. And uh, I, So I have a whole pack of them, and uh, that's, that's what we use to, um, to work this out. Because uh, from what I can tell... Um, these are the byproducts of the sphere's propulsion system is static. Uh, so when they're in close proximity to, to you or to the sensor, the sensors will detect it. The good thing about them as well is they're not affected by mobile phones or, or anything, not even walkie-talkies, um, nothing, not affected by 3G, 4G. Um, it's very, it only picks up a very particular type of uh, static charge. While using your app, if there is no supplemental instrumentation, might one still expect to observe paranormal activity? If you're in an active building, you might. You might get the odd bang and stuff like that. Um, but uh, generally, you uh, ghost, ghost, these ghost hunters, they will have EMFs and they'll have movement detectors and all other things. Um, so I'm sure they can, they can use something... I mean the the one in the one of the videos the woman had these basically like these balls of when when they detect vibration they would they would trigger um but the thing is everybody was sat down and no one was moving uh, and they were responding back and forth to their their questions and uh and so forth and but yeah I mean these people they they generally have a whole load of sensors to play with 
You know, it, it, it occurs to me that if this entire phenomenon that you're describing is masterminded by some outside intelligence that nonetheless resides in the physical universe, then they, that would not so much explain this stored data that is kind of a remnant of energy. You know what I'm saying? The, 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 the stored data that you're referring to, that doesn't seem to me to be explainable by a physical presence in the physical world. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, what do you mean by um, data? Do you mean information on events and people? Well, you and I spoke a, a little bit earlier about, I, I was asking you if, if this is consciousness, if, if, if this is an actual entity, and you were saying, well, yes and no, you know, it's, it's, it's intelligence, but it's actually, it's actually just, you know, stored data. So if, if this data, the stored data that we, that we spoke about earlier. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right, right. So if, if this is the responsibility of an extraterrestrial presence on earth it seems to me like that stored data wouldn't exist this is kind of kind of recorded just in the natural world it sounds like and these extraterrestrials did not design the natural world so how is this information being stored why and how do you how do you reconcile that 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 doesn't seem to be related to extraterrestrials so the the seers themselves i mean they use artificial intelligence and that means they have a database internal database and from what we can tell they appear to be nuclear powered so they're, they're probably their lifespan goes on for a few hundred years if not longer so if one has been operating in a building for say i don't know 100 years it would probably know the names and of and the names and dates of the things that happened in the house uh just from just from observation um and then when you query that data all you get is a very specific response so you say well who lived here and it was Patrick, you know, who died here, you know, but you don't get a, a like an interactive response. It's not like, uh, like two people would have. It's just a very specific, um, answer to a question. Right. So you're again, just, it's like, you're just accessing information rather than interacting. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Okay. I gotcha. There's a very, lot of very complex stuff and we're going to have to see over time just how you know, we're just going to have to, we're just going to have to see over time is all I can say. We are at the end of the show. Uh, I spoke to you about another project that we can't really get into on mic, but I invited you to address the Bigfoot question with your skill set. And it turns out that you've already done that, which is no surprise to me. What, what have you learned about Bigfoot exactly using your methodology? Well, Bigfoot um, has uh, lots of uh, strange behavior characteristics. Uh, so from the people I speak to in in the game, they uh, they say that they track Bigfoot and you see these big footprints and then they stop. They just stop in the middle of mud in the middle of a field. So it's not like it to jump up to a tree or, or something and get out of the way. They literally just stop. Um, and when you actually observe the behavior patterns of Bigfoot, you don't find any half-eaten animals. You don't find any dead ones. You, um, you They basically appear and disappear. And you don't see them in large numbers. You only see them in, you know, maybe two or three. Maybe most of the time it's just one. Yeah. And the the fact is, is is that with today's technology, there is there's no animal on earth that we can't find, especially a land animal. I mean, all you need to do is get a drone and put an infra like a thermal imaging on it, and you can track anything. Uh, you just have to find the heat signature and and you can go find it. You can get your little AI to go find it for you. 
so it, it's it's not hard to do now. Um, and the reason why these these uh, Bigfoot shows haven't found anything is because they don't want to find anything. To be fair, they 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 do they do it in a way that causes a lot of drama, but they don't actually don't actually do it to find anything. If you understand, but what they do what they do find though is the same behavior patterns that are in haunted houses occurring deep in the woods with Bigfoot is apparently uh, operating. So uh, in the haunted houses. Um, People will have, you know, there'll be like ping pong balls or um, marbles or even apples, bits of fruit. They'll be just laying on the floor and it will just literally fall. And I've seen it. We've got it on tape where it just falls through like the ceiling and lands on the floor. And um, you get the same thing in, in, the, in the deep woods, but they call it gifting. So they'll have like a, a tent and then they'll wake up and find, you know, a, a few random objects and a, and a bone so all ni- ni- nicely laid out for them as they uh, leave the tent and there's no footprints there's nothing you know so it's the same behavior patterns um, and I can explain that as well I know what's going on there uh, that's a little bit more complicated but uh, that's that's uh, that's also it's the same process it's the same thing okay well I I I can't really agree with you that the explanation for Bigfoot must be this one because we can't detect Bigfoot any other way. I think the reason that we have not detected Bigfoot could be explainable even if what you're saying is not true. Uh, there is plenty of wilderness in this world. People tend to think that that wilderness is gone, that, that people don't really conceive of how much wilderness there truly is in this world. And as far as heat and signatures, sure, but I mean, you have to know exactly where to look and where to point it. And, uh, and we're talking about a wild being with human-like intelligence, in my opinion. So I, I think there is plenty of reason why, even if Bigfoot is something very different than what you're saying, there is still an explanation for why we have not found them. Well, maybe. I mean, as I say, is is I've been in touch with these the teams, and privately they say, you know, we we've actually um, someone's opened fire fired on a Bigfoot, which is literally a couple of feet away, and he disappeared and just vanished. You know, so also we've got a video of big what looks to be Bigfoot vanishing in a single frame. Um. So there is evidence to say that there is something else going on. Also, they see that uh, whenever Bigfoot is around, they always see flashes of light in the woods, and they also see little balls of light whizzing around. And sometimes the the uh, the crews will follow these balls of light for hours, and then they just they just disappear, you know. So yeah, there's the and the lights are basically the Foo Fighters; so they're just emitting light. So it seems to be related. It seems to be related, and also. The videos I've seen where things happen, because people set up these cameras and stuff, um, you always notice there's like a big flash of light and then Bigfoot turns up. Mm-hmm. And then there's another flash of light and he disappears. So it, there seems to be something related to it. Um, but until I, you know, I, I'm lucky enough to get on one of these Bigfoot shows and, and sort of try and give them a, a few different ideas and processes to follow, I can only sit here and talk about it, you know. Sure. Well, you know what? I'm going to... I'm going to work with you on these ideas of yours. I want to test out your ideas. I want to see just how right you are or or what. Yeah, no worries. Um, and I like good questions. I like hard, hard questions. Um, in my group, 
everyone asks me the most hardest questions ever, you know, and, and I'm always happy to answer them. And I'm always the first to say I don't know if if I don't know, um, which is quite different from, I would say, the majority of these paranormal groups, because if you ask a question, you generally get banned. <laughs> you know so uh, they don't like they don't like any other ideas they're just kind of stuck in their own um you know cycle so uh there's there's definitely worth having a look just for the uh interesting conversations sure oh absolutely <laughs> there's i imagine there's plenty of lively conversation in your group and uh yeah a lot of a lot of groups are focused on just kind of entertaining themselves by telling each other the same ideas that they want to hear over and over again but then there are, you know, actual groups and actual people who actually want to explore things and learn more and expand their minds and are open to new ideas. And I think your group is one of those. So that's a really great thing. And uh, just lastly is um, the same thing the U.S. carrier fleet are reporting and the Pentagon are releasing images of. If you look closely at these images, you'll see that there's lots of little sears surrounding the larger craft. Um, and that is basically a triangulation process which replicates all over the world. So these uh, these Type 1 seers, what they do is they triangulate on these targets, and then they get right up close to them and basically tell them to leave. And uh, these intercepts happen quite a lot. From what I can tell, they're happening every every week. Uh, one above London a couple of weeks ago. There's one above Washington, which a friend of mine got lots of pictures of. Um, they, they're happening all over the place. Uh, a lot of them, there's a lot of footage coming out of Mexico. Um, what of, of this occurring? Um, and what it really is is the is is that this is the problem is the Earth is pumping out electronic emissions into space, and the the longer that goes on for, the more detectable we become. So uh, currently, our our emissions have reached I think around 100 light years. So anything passing or passing through that that window will detect us. And you can guarantee, you can guarantee, you know, to put it harshly, is that you can guarantee it's always the wolves that come sniffing first, which is, which is could be why it's, a, a, you know, this subject, I, I think the military are well aware of it. And um, I think they, they actually work alongside them as well in, in, some, in some areas. So to explain this to the public is, I think, politically, they're paralyzed. They they just can't do it. But you see, if I explain it, no one cares. You see, because they just think I'm a nut or something. But if the government says it, there'll be no toilet roll in the whole Western world. You know, so it's is um that's why when these when the people say, Oh, we want to know what's going on and and the government will release a little bit of information, but then they go quiet because it, it is such a big thing to to swallow. Um Elon Musk himself said that human race is not evolved enough to think about external threats. We're all too busy about arguing with our neighbors. We're, you know, no one thinks about uh, meteors hitting the earth or, um, you know, space-based threats, so to speak. So when someone like me comes along and says, well, this is the root cause of poltergeist activity. This is the system. This is how it works. These are the emissions. This is how the behavior patterns are. This is what it does up in the sky. And this is uh, UFOs being intercepted, which is, answers the age-old question, where are all the aliens? Because we're surrounded by trillions of stars and not one has landed on our, you know, on our lawn. And uh, the, the, uh, the reason is, is because they're kept out and the system keeps them out. Hmm. Okay. 
Yeah, I, it, it certainly makes sense. I understand the, the way it all fits together. I really can't wait to learn more about who's doing this and why. And uh, we know, just based on our conversation, we know apparently that they've been here for at least 2,000 years, probably longer. Uh, and and that's, that's what we know so far. They've been here a while. We are observing them. They apparently behave in the way that you are describing for the reasons you are describing. And that's where we are right now. And we need to know the next steps about who and why. So are, are you taking steps to answer these questions or do you even know how to even begin to address these questions? Uh, well, I have a few ideas on how to do it and, and what to do. But like all these things, it takes a lot of money. Um, in order to to really dig out the signals and, and drill them down, you need to hire, uh, you know, pretty pricey scientists or and hardware. Um, and you know, I've been doing this all, you know, for twenty years on a shoestring budget. So yeah, I mean, if if someone came along and said, "Here's a, you know, a million dollars, go and go and do it," I can do it. But it's uh, that's it. This is all about money at the end of the day, and this stuff costs money. So if money's no object, what do you do? Um, you would get hold of a, um, say, a very active building, number one. You would cover it in sensors to monitor all electronic emissions going in and out of the building. You would then um, sample those emissions. You will find out how and when, uh, maybe what angle it's broadcasting at. You'll find out what language it's speaking in, or try to at least. Um, you try and figure out the code. Um, you then have to use um, uh, telescopes, uh, expensive telescopes, to see what's going on in the sky above. Generation three passive night vision. Um, you would—that's that's where you start. Mm -hmm. uh, and then once you've got the, the signals and the emissions and everything else, uh, you can you can start working from there. Well, if anyone listening would like to help Patrick finance his endeavors. Uh, you can certainly get a hold of him through Facebook. What what else would you like us to know, Patrick? Uh, what 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 do you want us to know about what you're doing, and how do we keep tabs on you? Um, well, right now, I mean, I'm just I'm just uh, j um, making a few apps and doing interviews and stuff. The more the more uh, the the thing about the apps is 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 that the the ones that are coming out in a few months will be doing data collecting as well. So. When it detects, like with the ghost code, right now it just plays a code and and it's like read only and uh, and it just blasts it out there and and stuff definitely happens. But in the newer versions, it will start sampling the electronic uh, signatures going on around the phone while it's doing that. And then what's going to happen there is all the um, all that data is going to come back to a server and going to be used artificial intelligence to find the um, patterns. And then once you find the patterns, you can find find more more patterns and then you start finding the logic so basically once you get the electronic signatures you can then find them a lot easier all right well this is all stuff that's coming up and i can't wait to see what happens with it it's tough getting this message out because the you know like the producers uh in the in the u.s uh, not all of all, all of them but on a lot of um channels they know about me and they've, they've seen my work and they've read my work and stuff but uh, one channel said it was too big for them to touch and i think it's basically the fact is is that the immediate the mainstream just want to make entertainment they don't actually want to tell you the truth it's just entertainment and 
the entertainment is okay until people start getting really messed up because like um like recently there was a documentary you know the, the demon house documentary and they took down a, an engineer to check this thing and he left the building just a few hours later and he had multiple organ failure and that is because of the emissions this thing is pumping out and the production companies will just wash their hands of it and say demons there's demons man and they just walk away and this guy will now have life changing you know prop, um, health problems now for the rest of his life um so that's where it all gets a bit stupid for me because the 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 paranormal industry the entertainment industry is the same ideas just with new faces and but it's the same format and each and every one they just go into a building they get some weird stuff going on and then they'll just pin a backstory on it and the it, it becomes quite funny sometimes because there was one there that um they went to this place and it was haunted and stuff was going on and they and then when they actually did a bit of re research they found no one died there so they had to go out and look go down the road to find like the nearest house where someone died once and they said oh it must be him he just must have come back pop back here and stuff you know and it all looks rather sheepish you know because they couldn't explain it um but uh the that you know entertainment is one thing but but uh these these uh spheres are, are they you know they're dangerous really because their pump what they pump out is is high energy emissions that can have impact you on a on a neurological and genetic level like cancerous level um i hear lots of people who to do this ghost hunting stuff have mental illness problems neurological problems they have they start developing issues mentally um and it's, that's because of the emissions. I'd never heard that before. Is there really a high incidence of paranormal investigators developing mental illness during the course of their work? Yeah, there's quite a lot. There's there's more than more than you think. It's but obviously they they don't talk about it a lot. But when you when you really start asking questions, yeah, they do. Um, and it's it's because of these the emissions. If if you keep getting bombarded with these emissions, you're going to have problems. Um, and that's why I get I get cheesed off with the entertainment industry because if it, if it wasn't real and they were just faking everything, well, and some do, frankly, is um, then I wouldn't have a problem. But because people are actually getting, you know, seriously messed up over something that they just don't understand. And what what kind of bugs me as well is they have the budget to do something real real research, and they don't. They would rather just do do a film get some noises and bangs and stuff and then walk away but they don't actually and take the money but they don't actually use that money to do any proper research it's like they just want to entertain but not figure out what's causing it and that that's why you know and the the, the thing is is that the mainstream especially here in the UK anyway I'm banned from just about every <laughs> every mainstream group and uh, it's and not because I'm rude to them or anything. It's because they don't like answering questions. And yeah, and I, 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 I personally have the contact details of many of the celebrities here, and I message them, and they just don't want to know. They don't want to know, and they'd rather they'd rather just keep playing the same old, because it's a format that works and pays their mortgage, basically. Oh, of course, yeah. Ethics have yet to catch up with paranormal media and and i think the reason for that is because people who 
are in charge of this kind of media don't really care about the paranormal. They don't believe in the paranormal necessarily, and they it's just a way of making money. It's just a, it, it's entertainment, just like you said, for the most part. There are those in the media who, who do care and who are looking to find real answers, but unfortunately there's a lot more of the former than there is of the latter. But the thing is, is, is that when, when you figure out what these fears are actually doing and how, the, and how they're doing it and stuff, that the fact is, is that over time, we're going to have more, because our emissions are reaching out deeper into space, the more detectable the Earth will become, which means more will come to the Earth. So sooner or later, I mean, already these uh, Foo Fighters here is that the most common UFO seen in the world. They're seen everywhere from the fields of England to uh, the Great Wall of China to over the, the, the hills of Mexico. They're everywhere. And the reason why they're everywhere is because incoming traffic has increased. So there needs to be more, more of them. So obviously, the more traffic that comes in, it means more deployment. And when you think about it, when, when um, we start landing on other planets like Mars and stuff like that, it's going to come very apparent very quickly that we're not alone up there because the, I don't think the system is deployed over other planets. It's just the Earth. And so when you start landing on other planets, even the moon, um, you're gonna, the other groups will just come and drop by. And that's, that's the way it is. And just naturally over time, as we expand further and further out into space, which, which according to you, creates more necessity for further policing or further uh, security measures. So th there would be more and more deployment of these drones over time. So it seems to me like th this would very quickly become something that cannot remain hidden from us for very long. That's right. That's exactly, exactly right. So... On one hand, you have uh, this problem that is multiplying every year, because obviously, as you know, UFO sightings have increased over the years, and um, and at the same time, the government don't know what to do about it because they they really don't know how to explain it in a safe way that will um, allow people to not panic. And people panic now for any reason. I mean, here here in the UK, there was a a news article saying, oh, uh, one one petrol provider couldn't hire any drivers right just one and we've got loads of petrol providers not just one so what did they want to do they all panicked they all panicked and went down to the petrol station and bought all the petrol in the country you know and people panic over anything these days and uh, politically you know the government just doesn't know what to do about it they're just uh, or those in the government that know anyway uh, just don't know what to do about it it's just they're hoping it to just quietly go away or quietly um, not be seen you know, but one interesting thing I'll just add to it is, you know, mobile phones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, now on mobile phones, they're developing night shot on mobile phones. Right. So you can look at the stars through your phone and have high, high resolution images on your phone. So sooner or later, you'll just have to get your phone out and you could look up at the skies and you'll see these objects flying by. It's, it's that blatant. It's that blatant. So technology is going, you know, fast forward. The politics is stuck in the mud. And we've got a problem that is forever go growing. And there has to be a breaking point at some point. I think maybe they're just going to wait until it can't be denied anymore. I mean, does that sound right to you? Like they're just going to just keep denying it until, you know, a drone falls in your lap and then they can't deny it anymore. Does, does that sound like what's going to happen? 
Yeah, basically. Um, sooner or later, something will happen. And um, as I said, there was an intercept over London a couple of weeks ago. And the same um, is like a donut-shaped uh, craft. Uh, and they surrounded it. And it, then there's two of them, and they left. The same, the same craft, donut one, was actually filmed um, cutting up the F-22 uh, Raptor. Um, and so the Raptor was, you know, had to do a quick U-turn and basically just missed it. So these things are, you know, these, these other groups aren't, aren't that, uh, I'm not sure if they're friendly or just want to troll us. I don't know, but it's, it's, it's coming more and more and more blatant. I mean, the U.S. Navy said that they're now seeing these, uh, these things on a daily basis. Um, and now you've got U.S. Navy pilots coming forward. And saying, yeah, you know, we're seeing this stuff on a daily basis. We don't know what it is, but that's what we're seeing. And, um, yeah, you know. All right. Well, Patrick, there is no shortage of stuff to talk about. I feel like we could go on for a few more hours if we chose to. Um, for now, I think this is the, the stopping point. And, uh, of course, we're going to be talking a lot more in the future. Uh, I, I want to give your information again. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us your book and your Facebook group and your your app and all that stuff? Uh, yeah, so the the book itself is called uh, Quantum Paranormal: A Twenty First Century Analysis of the Paranormal Phenomena. It's on Amazon uh, to buy. Um, then you've got our group, a Facebook group, which is our research group, and in there you'll have all the pictures and videos and demonstrations and analysis, um, behavior pattern, you know, uh, analysis and all sorts. Uh, that's the same name. Um, then we have a YouTube channel, which is uh, called Quantum Paranormal 21st Century Analysis. Um, that's where we have the ghost code demos and a few other demos as well. Um, also, what else? Uh, oh, yeah, we got the website as well, which is quantumparanormal.co.uk. And, and there you can see my bio, uh, Steve's bio as well. Um, and basically, just a quick breakdown of what we've been doing for all this time. All right. Well, there you have it. And uh, I'm going to be keeping tabs on you. We're going to be in touch, and we'll be speaking more as things evolve. So, Patrick Jackson, thank you so much for joining me today on Type 471. No problem. Thank you very much. Cheers. All right. Cheers. Please show your support for Type 471 by liking, subscribing, reviewing, and commenting on the platform of your choosing. Type 471 podcast can be found on Apple, Google, Spotify, Pandora, and any major podcast platform. If you've encountered the extraordinary Bigfoot, Dogmen, UFOs, or what have you, email me at type471podcast at gmail.com. And check out the Type 471 podcast YouTube channel. Each YouTube video contains all media associated with each episode. I'm Sam Kitchen. Thanks for listening to Type 471.